Hello and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast and welcome back to another episode of the College and Pro Tennis Update. I am talking once again to Mark Finnegan about all of the latest results for the Irish players playing college tennis at the moment. It's been another really busy two weeks in the States and it's great to catch up on everything that's been going on. Big thanks to Mark as always for his time in putting this together and here we go. Here's the update. Hey, Mark. How, how, firstly, how are things? How are you doing? Hi, Adam. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, everything's good, apart from the fact I think the last time we talked, we hoped we were going to be playing in tennis this week. But it turns out that we're going to have to wait a little bit longer, which is a little bit frustrating. But fingers crossed here, hopefully in another two or three more weeks, I think, is the scheduled time for us to start playing tennis again. But America continues to play a lot of tennis and there's been a few cancellations with a few COVID matches, but for the most part, everything's going well over there. Good stuff. Yeah, you know, hopefully we will be back before too long. But to start today, where do you want to jump in today with, with some of that college action? Yeah, let's, let's, I guess let's start with the females this week. We said with the males last week and yeah. I think let's follow that. We'll, we'll work our way from the West Coast backwards. So um, starting with the Twins again, um, they've actually been on a little bit of a slide here losing the last five matches since they've been going outside. And uh, the record now stands at seven and eight. They have actually a match this week with Sacramento State, which is Shauna Casey's team. So another match where it'll feature uh, multiple Irish tennis players, which would be great. Lola has continued to have a, a fantastic single season. And her record is currently sitting at nine and three in singles. And the girls have done fantastic in doubles with a 10 and three doubles record. Then working our way over to Zara at Utah State. Zara's team is currently at six and six. And six. Um, but they've lost actually the last three out of the last four matches. But Zara still had a, has had a great season. She's eight and five at the number two position. And they actually too play another Irish team, which is Boise State and Shauna Heffernan's team this weekend. So another matchup of multiple Irish players. And then we just mentioned Shauna there. Shauna's team has had a pretty good last two weeks. Their, their record is, is an impressive nine and three. Shauna has done very well lately. She's six and four in singles right now. So she's back to having a winning record and an impressive nine and three doubles record. And they've won a couple of matches in a row there at the number one position. They're into their conference schedule too as well now. I think they're three and one in conference, losing their only match to, I believe, to UNLV. Sophia Durvin's team, big win over Washington State, which would typically be a very good program, 4-3. The team's record eight and nine. They actually had a match versus San Francisco, which is Cara Courtney's team. The other week, Cara's team actually won that match. 6-1. 6-1. I think Sophia and Cara actually played each other in doubles. Okay. And Cara won her singles match. I think Sophia won her doubles match and Sophia's singles match did not finish. So again, lots of Irish playing Irish out West. And then we talked about John Casey earlier. Their team still continues to struggle at a 1-12 record. They've had a bit of a long break here off um, and they play Idaho State actually with the Twins next weekend. So another uh, match where it'll feature multiple Irish players. And then, as we mentioned, Cara, their team record, they're having a very good season at 9-4. and four. They've won their last four matches, like we said, beating Colorado's team 4-1. And also, as well as Cara has played, it seems like keeps coming in and out of the lineup, playing a little bit of doubles and a little bit of singles. And I can only think that's still something to do with that injury that she's she's been battling all year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's for, for out west. Yeah, yeah. And just... um. Obviously, the big thing there is, as you said, a lot of those Irish, the Irish, which I always do like to see. But just a, a question on Sol and Nola. Have they been playing doubles together the, the whole season, have they? 
yeah, they've played doubles primarily at the two and three position. And I think they started off at three, then went to two, and then have played a little bit back at three position again. So, yeah, I think they won't be separated. I don't think those for their, their four years. I think they're very good together. And I'm sure they'll find themselves at the number one doubles position eventually for Idaho State. Yeah, that's good to see. Uh, and to move on to the South, I know I, I saw that uh, Georgia Drummies team in Duke had... I saw Georgia back on in the lineup and I saw they had a really tight one. So what's the action in, in the South? Yeah, so 11-5 and five team record there for Duke. And the four losses that actually come from, from Duke are in conference play, the ACC, which is typically one of the strongest female conferences. They did lose a heartbreaker there in their last match, 4-3 against NC State, which is a very, very good program. Um, I know Georgia's singles ranking dropped a little bit there, down to 77 in the nation. But she actually is now a doubles ranked uh, player at number 39 in doubles in the country, which is very impressive because she's playing number three doubles. So typically a three doubles team wouldn't get that much opportunity to be ranked, but they've obviously had a great year at three doubles. And so they actually have a chance of making the NCAA doubles championships as well as she's got a chance of making the singles championships. So she could actually be in all three facets of the NCAA tournament at the end of the year, which is very impressive. Jessica Lehman continues to have a strong end to the year. Team is record is five and ten, but they're actually they're a perfect four zero in their conference. Jessica's continued to play at that number three spot, and she's actually on a five match win streak in singles. So I know she had a bit of a tough start to the to the year, but seems to be finishing off really well. Great to see Ali O'D. Looks like she's back in the lineup again in singles. She played at number six singles. They had a really good win, first ever in program history against William and Mary. William & Mary be a very strong women's uh, program throughout the years. And so Elon is the first time in their program history to ever beat them. So, so that just continues to see how what a great year Elon are having at 13-4 and four team record. Ali's still a very good stronghold in the doubles lineup for them at 8-4 and four doubles record at number two position. And Anna Botel's rice still very impressive with a 12-4 and four team record. Uh, Anna's at an 11-4 and four singles record. She actually moved up and played a little bit of two in the lineup in the singles for a while there, um, but seems to be back at number four again. That might have been because maybe they were missing a player from the lineup or something like that. So very good season for Anna. They look like they're on target to make the NCAA tournament, which will be great. Very good. And just before you go on, just a quick question on, on what you mentioned on Georgia about the rankings. Um, it seems like it's, it's quite a slip, but would that be kind of normal for rankings for, for this kind of division of, of college tennis? Like drops and, and, like, and I guess what, what, what you know, would it be likely to then rise a bit over the next few weeks? Well, and I, and I don't know if, how much this is to do with it, yes, but over, over the next couple of weeks, their computer rankings, the more matches that are played and the more rank, the more matches get counted into the computer rankings, there definitely does seem to be a bit of a, of a change in, in numbers going up and down. You know, typically, if, if Georgia has one more good win against a, a, a decently ranked player in, in the rest of the year, she should be able to, to move that ranking up inside top 50 again. You know, if you beat a player ranked, say, 35 or 40 in the country, that'll be a significant amount of points in the computer rankings to, to jolt you up from a 77 all the way up into maybe the top 50. So, you know, it's so competitive up at the top of the lineup for, um, at all of these players in these schools. So sometimes if, if, if you lost a couple of tight ones, I think she lost a tight one, 7-5 in the third last against NC State against a very highly ranked player. So she just needs to get one more good quality winner under under her belt and she should be a qualifier for the NCAA Singles Championships. Very good. Uh, and, and what ranking would, would, you look be, would you be looking to be at? Yeah, so what they would call an, an at-large bid. So that would be a player who is not the number one player in their conference or has won some sort of championship to receive an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. You'd be talking about typically maybe the top, say, 40, 45 players 
would typically be be guaranteed a spot probably in the 64 draw. Okay. Um, so, and, and I don't know if it's changed at all with, with due to COVID with this year's NCAA championships. I'm presuming it hasn't, but that would be typical in a typical year. You know, every top player in every conference, if you're a ranked singles player inside the top 125, you get an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament. And that's something when I was at North Florida, we benefited greatly from. We were in a conference that wouldn't be one of the top conferences, but a middle tier conference. And so we always had a top, our top ranked doubles team, our top ranked singles player who was inside the, the top 125. They'd always get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament. So, so that's why sometimes when you're playing at these maybe smaller conference teams, you can actually have a lot of individual opportunity if you're playing in the top of the lineup. Okay, okay. That's interesting. And to move on to look at the, the Northeast and Midwest action, what, what, what's been going on down there? Yeah, so um, we'll start with Emily Donovan. Then Emily's team is 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 struggling a little bit. One of one and five record. Their only win is against a Wagner team from New York, uh, right next to New York City. Emily's been playing five at singles and and three doubles. So I guess the thing for them is, you know, they're at least they're getting to play a couple of matches now. It's been really difficult more in the Northeast to get these matches played. But so yeah, so a bit of a struggle there. But great to see her playing. Uh, Ellie Murphy's I- Iowa State continue to have a. a and a very impressive, probably their best ever season in history. Teams 12 and four, four and two in, in one of the best conferences again, um, the Big 12. She hasn't featured in that lineup, but that's not to say that she hasn't been playing some probably good, some great tennis and getting better as a player. That team is at an all-time high, and I've no doubt that if Ellie keeps playing over the summer, that she'll come back in a better position to maybe be more of a more solidified in the top six. Yeah. So then we got Kiro Tool. This is a great example of maybe Kira's found a better fit, but she seems to be thriving at Sacred Heart from a results standpoint anyway. Um, team record is at five and four. They're four and one in their conference. And she did play the last match at number two, but she's been primarily playing at number one singles and doubles and, and doing a great job and winning a lot of matches. Probably still the most impressive to me as a team right now at the moment is, is Northwestern, Northwestern with Julie. Burn. Their team is 16 and two, which is incredible to think because their conference actually, apart from the ITA kickoff weekend, which is a national tournament, they've played all of their matches have been conf- conference matches and they've played each other home and away this year. So to be only 16 and two and only lose one conference match in an incredibly competitive conference such as the Big Ten is an incredible achievement. Julie has had a tough loss in her last two matches in, in singles, but um, has also won in doubles. So that team seems like they're on a magical run this year too as well. I haven't seen Jenny Timmett in, in the lineup. Their team is actually struggling at a four and 10, but I haven't seen Jenny at all. They just lost another tight one. They've lost a lot of four, three battles to Penn State. So hopefully, fingers crossed here, Jenny can maybe, if she's not injured or something's going on, that she can get back in that lineup. Same goes for Lucy, Lucy Octave. Lucy Octave's Xavier having a fantastic year. One of their best years in a long time. 11 and three team record but haven't seen Lucy in that lineup and not sure why. Laura Fitzgerald's team had a nice recovery. They actually won their last three matches for three. Okay, so that's really tight battles they've been in. So their records as a team has gone to 14 and seven. Laura has been in the doubles lineup, but I haven't seen her in the singles lineup. So I'm not sure what's going on there. If she's battling something because she had been a staple in that lineup for a very long time. That's it for the, the D1 girls. Yeah, very good. And, and I guess to move on then to the, the D2 and, and NAIA, what, what's the action there? Yeah, so we got uh, the two twins again, Caitlin and Annie. Caitlin's record now is 10-5 in singles at the number three spot. And Annie's record has been 
14 and 2 at the number one spot in singles. I know she had a tough loss there against one of their rivals last week. Their doubles is incredible with 13 and 2 doubles record, and their team stands at a 10 and 4. And I believe they're still ranked inside the top 25 Division II ranking. So hopefully they're going to be able to earn a bid to the NCA tournament. The NCA tournament in Division II is not as big of, of a field. So in Division One, you'd have 64 teams that make the NCA tournament. In Division Two, I'm not 100% sure on the exact number of this, but I, I believe it's 24 or 32. I cannot remember. So it's a smaller field. So they're right on the cusp of maybe being what's called, again, an at-large bid, which means they wouldn't have to win their conference to get into the NCAA tournament. They would be an automatic qualifier. Emer Mars team for Barton College, they could continue to have another great year, as well as Emer. Team is 7-2 and two in the year, 3-2 uh, and two in their conference. Emer continues to have a great year, winning a lot of number two singles. And Emily Connolly now has become a nice staple in the Indiana Wesleyan uh, University NAI team that's ranked inside the top 10. She's played now primarily at the four, five, and six spots, primarily more at five. Her record is now five and three in singles and five and one in doubles. Team is in 24 and three. Again, I think I mentioned this the last time. One of the massive advantages the NAIA I have over the over NCAA is that there's no, I don't think they have a rule against how many matches you're able to play. So NCA only entitled to play you X amount of matches per year for student athletes, whereas NAIA don't have that same rule. So it's a great opportunity for these NAIA schools. They play a ton of matches in the fall and the spring, which can be a great development tool for coaches. I know sometimes I hear the NCA coaches are jealous of the NAIA coaches of what they're able to do when it comes to that. Now that's, that, that's great. And, and I guess 24 and three is unbelievable record as well um, and just before we move on then um i guess yeah hopefully we will see annie and caitlin in with, with tusculum getting into the air qualifying for the nca uh division two l- later on in the season we can keep an eye out for that and hopefully see some success for them yeah and look as as a player the the one of the best experiences you'll ever have is going to the nca tournament um as an individual and as a team it's it really is. It, you play an extra probably two or three or four, sometimes weeks of tennis if you do make the NCA tournament, which is great for your development. But it's just a great time of the year. And the NCA do a great job of, of running their championships. They put a lot of money into making it a really special experience. And it's, it's, it's done so professionally to the level where it, I think it's done at the, at the same level as an ATP or a challenger tournament, how well it's organized. Okay, yeah, yeah. And, and when is that going to be? How many weeks until that's kicking off? Those a typical year would have been like starting around the early May, but I think they pushed it back a week or two um, this year. So I think it starts maybe around like the second week of May or third week of May, and then it'll run right all the way into the end of May where the, the, the singles and doubles championship happens after the team championship. Okay, okay. And, and now to move on to the coaches, the th- three coaches in action, how, how have their team has been doing? Well, we, we say three, but funny enough is, is uh, Peter Wright's Cal Berkeley finally will play a match after a very long time against USC this weekend. They have not played at all. Their spare record is still two and one from the kickoff weekend. Really, that was it. So I have no idea what happened. Cal, maybe they just decided to opt out of it, but they're finally playing their first match this weekend after a very long time long layoff and, and then also as well as Dara Glavin at Miami they've had a ton of matches matches in the last two weeks cancelled due to COVID so their team is still four and seven record their last match I think was against South Florida which was a top 50 win but they haven't played since 
And then we have Peter Fleming at Montana, where their team record is a 6-10. and 10. They were coming off a big win over Gonzaga, which were ranked inside the top 75, but then they've lost their last two matches since then. So it's been, been an up-and-down season for Montana, it looks like. Okay, yeah. And I guess that moves us in to look at some of the guys and I guess the D1, D2 action. What, what, what's been going on? Well, yeah, and let me, I guess we can start with Ushin again with from Montana. So Ushin, you know, like we said, they're six and ten on the team record. Ushin's really playing some great tennis. Four out of his five last matches, he's won at number two. So congratulations to him. He just keeps going from strength to strength. You know, again, this probably brings up a great point, Adam, um, how important it is for us Irish and for every player to make sure that you're playing continuous year-round tennis. You know, sometimes what I saw as a coach was the players who were able to, yeah, take a little bit of time off during the summer, but still keep competitive, still playing tournaments. You know, they come back and they get better and better each year. They also get, they're more prepared and ready when it comes to January. So sometimes you can be just starting to play your best tennis at the end of March and, and end of April or beginning of April. But then you've only got another couple of weeks before season's over again. So, you know, a big goal for me and, and a big goal, I, I believe, for Tennis Ireland is to try to put some more pathways there for Irish tennis players to be able to play the, what we call year-round tennis, where they're co- constantly being competitive. Yes, taking some breaks, but then that way they're progressing year to year. And I know college coaches, really, that's important to them when they're recruiting that they want players like this. So, so yeah, so then we move over to Thomas Brennan. Thomas himself has, has been doing excellent and um, the record of the team is is five and seven they've had played a tough pretty tough schedule they actually had another i, I played uh, mark griffin's marion so that's a great situation to see that an nca school playing an NAIA school because they're located in the same city that match was won by butler 7-0 but mark played the butler number three player pretty competitive close second set seven six in the second thomas has been playing back in the uh, top of the lineup again has played a little bit of two and one and has had some success every time he's lost seems like Thomas, he's gone down fighting. It's always been a three-set match. So keep the good work there, Thomas. Um, Sean Keane, last time we spoke, had been doing excellent. Um, have not seen him featured in the lineup. The team is four and nine. So Sean was actually supposed to play Limestone last weekend, which features obviously two more Irish with, with Dovey and, and his brother. And none of those Irish players actually ended up playing in that match. So something was going on there. I'm not sure what, but interesting situation. Then we have Matthew Saunders. Uh, their team is now six and six. They just lost a really tight one to Walsh, 4-3. Um, Matthew has been playing number six in the lineup. And I think he's been having um, some wins and some losses. But their team seems to be doing pretty decently. And then moving over to Mark Griffin. Mark Griffin, again, we talked about him, just played Butler, Thomas Brennan's team. Their current record, again, is 13-9. and nine. You can just see, again, NAIA University. Again, how many matches they've played compared, comparable to an NCA team, right? And Mark is back in the lineup, that number three singles position, and has been winning a lot apart from that Butler match. Keane McDonald team continues to have a great season. Their record stands now as a team at 10-4. and Keane, 8-2 and two in singles, and still playing at that number three uh, singles position and number one doubles position. They actually had their last few matches there postponed due to COVID. Not sure if that was relating to their team or the other teams that they were playing against. Mord Stenzer um, continues to play a very tough schedule in D2. You know, for example, they just played their last two matches. They played the number two ranked and number three ranked team in the nation. Barry University would be a famous Division II university in Florida. They would be playing at the same level 
as a top 50, maybe even better Division One university. So Moritz still playing that sixth spot, lost in a tight three-set match against a very good player from Barry. And then moving over to Cole. Cole's actually team is now 8-8. Eight and eight. They were undefeated in conference, uh, but they just lost their first conference match to Redford. Cole did find himself back in the singles lineup at number six singles, um, but unfortunately didn't have success in that match and winning his match. A huge congratulations to Christian Duffy, Stonehill College. Finally played his first match. So, yeah, we, we feel like we were every week we were hoping that he was going to play. So congratulations to get you going on the season. They are 0-2, but Christian has won his singles and doubles matches at the number one position. So well done, Christian. And then we just talked about the limestone with, with Davi and his brother. Obviously, not sure why that's going on, why they're out of the lineup. But yeah, I, I have no idea because he was doing. they were both doing so well before in doubles and singles. So then we have Fergus O'Rourke uh, with Spring Hill College. Tough, tough season for Spring Hill College. Two and eight record. Fergus continues to play at number two position. Had a really tight loss against the number number two player for West Florida, which would be a powerhouse Division two program. Played them very close, so that's good to see Fergus getting some tight matches. Morgan Lowen, team four and ten. Iowa just seem to be having a really tough year. It's their final year. Their program's going to be cut next year. Haven't seen Morgan in the lineup. They just lost to a Nebraska team that were struggling a little bit too. So it just seems like it's been a real tough year on Iowa. Philip Lynch, don't know what's going on there. Hope Philip, everything's okay, but haven't seen him in the lineup still. The record of the team is one and six and Philip had been playing the first few matches of the year, but has not been in the team since. And so then we also have Neil O'Connor for Coastal Carolina. Team are six and five record. They just came off a dramatic weekend, win over UNC Greensboro, 4-3. It came down to the final match, then played Wake Forest, uh, which would be a very good traditionally Division One ranked university on the men's side, won a national championship two years ago. They actually played them very competitively, lost 5-2. They actually won a doubles point against Wake Forest, but didn't see Neil in the lineup in that match. Charlie Barry's Tulane, 11-5 team record. They continue to be top 25 in the country. They're looking great and having an incredible year, very competitive roster. So haven't seen Charlie there. Jonathan Garcia, record is three and five as a team record. Jonathan's still been playing, actually stepping up into number two position, I believe, last week in the lineup. They just, their latest win is over Holy Cross, and they're one and zero in conference. And then finally, Finley McFadden, team is seven five. They're in the same conference as Cole Butler, Gardner Webb. Have not seen him in the lineup, but the team is is at a seven five record. It seems like Finley maybe is the guy who comes into the lineup once if they have some issues with an injury or something to do with COVID, it looks like he's the next man up at the number seven position. So, so yeah, so that's it. That's a good update for the, for the last two weeks. I, I think in the next probably two weeks, when we, when we talk again, it'll be just the start of, of some of the conferences of their start of their conference tournaments. So that's okay. something that we can explain to the, the listeners, what happens with your conference tournaments and how, how, how that's different from other years because of COVID this year, they've tr- changed some of the conferences, the way they're doing their conference championships now. So, Okay, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be interesting in a couple of weeks' time to, to catch up on that and, and see what's going on. Um, I'll just jump in with a couple of updates on, on the pro side. Uh, firstly, Simon Carr, has, uh, he was playing in Tunisia the last few weeks and then the last two weeks he has been in India. Uh, the first week he reached the quarterfinals in, in singles and then reached uh, the, the second week reached his first semifinal of the year. Uh, and also a doubles final that first week. So a, a good, really good couple of weeks for Simon. His first semi-final, as I said, and it, it really feels like he's he's on, on the right path to to reach some 
finals and, and titles before too long. And just an interesting note that it's exactly this week, two years ago, that he won his his first and uh, his, his first futures event in Tunisia. And um, also, we've had qualifying action for Amar El Amin, Dorian Koss, Kian Maguire, Dan O'Neill, Preston Connor, and Oscar O'Hushin. So all of those guys have been playing over the last couple of weeks in Tunisia, Egypt, India. And this week in Tunisia, uh, there have been wins for Dorian Koss and uh, Amar. They, uh, Dorian reached the final qualifying round and Amar reached the second round. So good to see some wins for those guys. And finally, uh, very best of luck to Carola Bejanaru, who is back in action this week in Tunisia in the singles and doubles draw uh, back in action there. So best of luck to Carola this week. And that is all the updates there. Well, Adam, just on a note there too, as well as it's well, first off, congratulations to Dorian. It seems like he's obviously keeps improving if he's making the last round of qualies. But just to give people an understanding just where the level's gone with, with qualies in futures, because there's so few futures out there in the world at the moment, plus the level of tennis obviously continues to grow. But, you know, those second rounds for Amar, they, they featured him playing guys I know from, from back when they played in college tennis. These guys would have been extremely, extremely highly ranked Division One uh, NCA players, right? And with, with a lot of experience behind them. One played for South Florida, another guy played for Florida State. But, you know, just to give them an idea, like, you know, that's a four or five years older player than than Amaru in playing that has had a lot of experience. So the level, the level right now at the moment out there for, for junior players and for players just graduating from juniors, it's become so high in these futures that, you know, this is why I think this, this giving it some time to be able to mature physically, mentally and emotionally in college is definitely standing a lot to these athletes coming out of college. So they're able to directly be able to not have to kind of get what we always say, get kind of caught in, in the mud and in, in the, in the, in the sand pit of, of the futures. Right. So yeah. um, very challenging and, but commending all of those players for, for, for getting out there and, and, and traveling during these difficult times. Now, yeah, big thanks for all the updates, Mark. Anything, anything else before we finish this one up? No, that's, that's great. Thanks for taking the time to chat, Adam. And that is it for this episode. A big thanks to Mark, as always, for his time. And thank you for listening to this episode. I love giving the players the recognition. Um, I think it's really great to be aware of and, and recognize what they are doing. So thank you for listening. I'm really looking forward to the next episode in a couple of weeks' time as the season continues to progress nicely. So until next time, goodbye.